Kevin issues a public service announcement. We talk about the retirement of Fauci, and we discuss Biden's student loan forgiveness. Plus, we take another visit into the China cabinet. I'm John Fender, along with Gary Humble and Kevin Kukaji. This is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Hey, I have a, uh, I have an update to start us off. Great. Last was it? Last week we talked about the Chromebooks. Mm. <laughs> I don't remember. It was last no, week. I think it, it was in the schools. Yeah, I think it was. But it's because we we had recorded it so early. It seems like two weeks. Yeah, ago. it was last week when it came out. Well, technically, it came out yesterday. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> At the time of this recording, it came out yes. yesterday. We, we but, should stop giving any semblance of time while yeah, we're recording. It's yeah. very confusing. We completely ignore the space-time continuum on this, <laughs> on this show. Uh, right. The so we talked about the Chromebooks that came out in Blount County. Is that what it was? Yes. And there were, you know, apparently the folder of LGBT That's stuff right. that you could yep. customize. Anyway, yeah. my kids came home <clears throat> with their Chromebooks this week, and uh, this is the Franklin Special School District here in Franklin, Tennessee. Could not even access the customization page. So that tells Somebody's me... Somebody's paying attention. That mm-hmm. tells me it's a school system problem and not just Chromebook-wide problem. These are specific to the school systems paying attention to what's going on on the individual Chromebooks. Yes, well done. So I couldn't even, like... It didn't even give me the option to pick from, like, the generic folders. I just went to go to personalization, and as soon as I clicked it, it said not authorized. It just blocked me completely. Mm. Good. So... So FSSD school board uh, is either paying attention, kudos, or they have a great IT guy, or yeah. some, somebody is paying attention over there. <clears throat> Good job, y'all. I mean, to, to, like, let's throw the whole LGBT thing to the side, and like, there's no point for for second graders to be customizing their desktops on a Chromebook that that's not even theirs. They're borrowing from the school for the year. It's like that's right. Agreed. That's, that's a good call. Just shut it down. Yep. <clears throat> well done. We approve. Freedom Matters podcast approved. <laughs> And on that note, get a little we, stamp. We well, we have a stamp on, <clears throat> on this bottle right here. That's where I was going. Uh, shout out to our our friend Kim. Yeah, um, who got us a bottle of Bardstown Bourbon Company whiskey and stamped it on the bottle, engraved it with Freedom Matters. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. That's the next level. <clears throat> yeah, for and the, for the podcast. Is that how you know you've made it? Is that like the <laughs> sign of success? When you when you get engraved engraved by, bottles of because whiskey engra- because look engra- it's not a sticker. No, it's engraved on the glass. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It, is it textured? I want to feel it. But, yep, sure. Well, you like my wife. Be... <laughs> my wife always, we'll go shopping and she yeah. like finds a shirt. She's like, feel yep. it. Yep. I don't know what I care what it feels like. Yeah, it's it's really etched in the glass. Yeah. Anyway. Nice. Well, can I have a, can I make a public service announcement? Let's do it. <clears throat> okay, this is important. Um, and I, and I don't know if you want to then jump to another topic and then come back to China cabinet because I know John you've told us the last couple of weeks that you get depressed and we always end on a down note <clears throat> it, is a, it is a down note on the China <clears throat> cabinet yeah but I think it's really important that we continue to remind our audience um, our audience knows but to continue to hammer home this issue of what's going on with the mRNA jab <clears throat> so but but do we really have an up note to end on though <laughs> That's not an up note. No, no, this is not an ending. This is a beginning. <laughs> okay. I don't know if it's not up, but it's it's a serious call for the people in Tennessee. Let me just read it. Okay. Okay. So I'll show you, by the way, what I'm holding. I'm holding in my hands, and there are net numbers of these. I just picked one in particular. 
This is a report from Dr. Michael Palmer and Sukarit Bhakti. Um, so he's probably Indian, the latter. The title of the paper is Vascular and Organ Damage Induced by MRNA Vaccines, Irrefutable Proof of Causality. And um, it's a very long paper. Uh, it was just published August 18th. And I'll give you the summary, and then I'll give you the public service announcement. The summary is that the evidence from experimental studies, by the way, this was from autopsies. So I don't know if you remember back mm, six months ago, we started to see pictures of autopsies, right. people who'd come out of, um, who had the COVID jab, and they had all of this plastic stuff all through their veins and arteries and very frightening to look at. Well, so they, they did these autopsies on... Um, people who had died, who had recently had the jab, and it was for the purpose of determining cause and effect. So what this study has determined was, among other things, vaccine-induced expression of the spike protein induces autoimmune-like inflammation throughout the body, <clears throat> and vaccine-induced inflammation can then cause grave organ damage, especially in your blood vessels, sometimes with deadly outcomes. So their point is, in this article, it must be expected, the evidence is so plain now that they say the technology has failed and it needs to be abandoned. So <clears throat> now I take you, before giving you this public service announcement, back to the letter written by Jack, or at least signed by Jack Johnson, and all of the multiple tweets we got from our governor over the last year and a half, and I think as recently even as earlier this winter in 2022, constantly telling us that we should be taking these vaccines because they are, quote-unquote, safe and effective, which was nothing other than repeating the line of the CDC website at the time. So, ladies and gentlemen, even if you were to ignore or dismiss all prior warnings, the attached report that I just referred to, <clears throat> containing evidence from autopsies of men and women who have died following, quote-unquote, vaccination, indisputably proves that mRNA technology has completely failed and must be abandoned. We must therefore make an appeal, and we should do this regularly until we see action, an appeal to Governor Bill Lee, to Jack Johnson, and all other public officials in the state of Tennessee who have used their platforms and public charge to uncritically advocate for Big Pharma. Stop referring to these experimental mRNA gene-altering drugs as safe and effective. Even if you are among those who believe the shot was truly a vaccine, and even if these public officials could inexplicably justify their decisions because they either chose not to look beyond or were too lazy to look beyond the website of the CDC, they are now, with this report and multiple other reports, without excuse. In light of the overwhelming abundance of evidence proving that mRNA is an extremely dangerous and failed experiment, it must be as publicly repudiated as it was publicly advocated. In other words, they cannot now just say, oops, sorry, right? For every tweet that we had rammed down our throat saying safe and effective, safe and effective, they now are required to go out <clears throat> and must let people know that it's dangerous. Failure to adequately and vociferously warn the public of the dangers of this mRNA is a dereliction of one of the principal duties of a public official. It's immoral and it's irresponsible. And at least for me, as long as God gives me a voice, I'm going to let people know. So that's my public service announcement. 
And we're going to hammer it home until we st- start to see as many tweets and uh, papers from these guys saying it's dangerous. <clears throat> so I, I, I have two things. Uh, number one is you read something that had the word vociferous. I, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that word. I don't know that way. Think of your voice vociferously. Okay. That use all like your, with like all gusto. The, like, yeah. And uh, with, but okay. specifically gusto from your voice. <laughs> okay. It's how I talk. Yeah. yeah. You, you speak very vociferously. That's, that's right. <laughs> Gary would be exhibit A for a vociferous person. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't okay. matter what it is, whether he's talking about hot dogs or whether he's talking about freedom. It's okay. Vociferous. Very here. vociferous. Yes. Are you a big hot dog fan? Is that is that true? I don't no, know why. I, oh, I don't know okay. why I picked that. I mean, steak. I'll eat. A steak. There you go. I'll okay. eat either. But secondly, is I know we talk we we internally here talk a lot about how the vaccines are not safe and effective, and that there is proof out there that they are that they are not safe and effective. I have a I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of contacts that did take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is 100%, you know, their choice. But, like, at this point, what do you tell someone? Like, like, like when you have evidence like this that's coming out in the medical field, wh- how, do you, how do you approach that? How do you, how do you talk to somebody like that? I have a brother in the same situation. Okay. <clears throat> okay. He sees the world as we do, except that he – I wouldn't have done what he did, but he felt he needed to do it for his job. He works for a, a – a military contractor. Mm-hmm. He couldn't go on bases. He couldn't show up in certain states. He he would have had to quit his job or be fired. And he took the first two shots, and he'll not he'll never take another one. But we have been counseling him. It, it's it's really interesting dialogue because number one, he wants to know how to detox. And although you can't perhaps completely detox, there are a lot of protocols that some doctors have been advocating to help people. So I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Like <clears throat> detox. Do you, you can go to doc, specific doctors and ask them, what well, do I do to try and mitigate this at all? There, Yes, there are protocols and I can give you some a- after a while. We can, <clears throat> okay. we can address them later. I don't have them at my fingertips okay. now. But yes, there are protocols. And the other thing which really touched me that my brother said he has told his wife and my brother's um, approaching 60 Well, first of all, it was funny because he said, I'm not going to exercise much anymore. He said, this gives me an excuse not to exercise. (laughs) Because everybody that's dying, it usually happens after some exertion, right? But (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm just going to sit on the couch. Yeah, that's That's it. That's basically it. So he had a really good sense of humor about it. But, But he also said to his wife, and he told us, he said, I told her, if I pass away, quote unquote, unexpectedly in my sleep, he said, do not tell anybody it was from natural causes. You need to broadcast and let them know that, yes, I was jabbed, and I think that's the reason that I passed away. Hmm. So I love the fact that he has a lot of courage and, and he's free to talk about it. He does kind of feel stuck, pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. And so, as I say, we've given him some some of the protocols to help detox. Um, I think that's the best we can do. Okay. All right. Interestingly, as part of this conversation, it's like, all of this stuff is sort of happening and being said now, uh, one of which clearly is Fauci stepping down um, or being fired. Uh-huh. Uh, who knows what actually happened? But so a- as these reports and, and all of these things are coming out, Fauci steps down. Uh, Michael Knowles uh, reported this week, I, I saw it on his show, apparently all of these social media fact checkers now have dropped. If you say... Something like masks don't work 
our masks are stupid, that will no longer get fact-checked right. on social media that. platforms. <clears throat> so that changed this week. We can now say, in fact, on this podcast, we can say <laughs> masks suck. Uh, and we have no fear of getting shadow banned. Well, we're not going to get platform. shadow banned anyway. Yeah, right. And And then on top of all of that, again, on August 11th, 2022, NPR put out a statement with new guidance from the CDC that focuses the CDC now sees the importance of individuals being able to make their own decisions. And the CDC now says the following, those exposed to the virus are no longer required to quarantine. Unvaccinated people now have the same guidance as vaccinated people. Students can stay in class after being exposed to the virus. And it is no longer recommended to screen those without symptoms. And yet, <laughs> despite that radical shift, change, return, I mean, that's return ra- to normal. Radical shift. Right. Back to but you re- normal. Wait, but let me finish the thought here. Okay. In spite of that, you still have the U.S. Open denying Djokovic, best tennis player in the world. Oh, but that was from a mo- being able to appear at the U.S. Open. But that was 30 days ago. <clears throat> Things were radically different <laughs> 30 days ago. No, even yes. as today, as of today. <laughs> I know. I know. He can't get into the United but States. You, but you do realize because he's not jabbed. What we are getting closer to and why they're making radical mm. shifts. We're only 90 days away from midterms. And there you go. Yeah, there'll so, be another uh pandemic after after the midterms? Yeah, well, because they'll find the need to control us again. With well, something. they'll figure out what the lay of the land is on the yeah. the House and the Senate at that point and see if they can, what they need to do to, yeah. But the good news is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good news. Electorally, regardless of what happens and regardless of what they think they're going to do, we will never be in the place that we were three years ago because – People are at least alert to this fact, and they won't just go along. They might go along with a different scam, but they're not going to go along with the virus scam and say, I'm going to stop working, I'm going to wear a mask, I'm going to take a jab. It's not going to happen again. That's not going to happen. And when you have a governor like Ron DeSantis, who is really the only American leader who continues to stand up and confront all of these lies, he doesn't mince words. That has given a lot of people a lot of courage to stand up themselves. Doesn't doesn't mince words. That's that's he does not at all. In fact, can we play the clip of what he said about Fauci? Uh, I think it was yesterday. Actually, he yeah, said you, it. You pulled it up in yeah. our meeting yesterday. You have people like Fauci saying that his lockdowns didn't cause any permanent damage to any young kids. I got news for you; it did, and we are going to reap those rewards across the whole country for years and years and years because they treated kids so poorly. And I'm just sick of seeing him. I know he says he's going to retire. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the Potomac. (laughs) He literally said that. (laughs) That's a governor, man. I thought it was fake at first, but it's real. He said that. So he does not mince words. You are correct. (laughs) Um, So do we add to all of this if we keep talking about it? Do we add to what? The hysteria and the control that they try to keep pushing on everyone. If we keep talking about COVID, I almost feel like it's no, we're, like... But we're not talking about COVID. We're talking about the deaths and the danger of what they no, imposed no. upon us in response to I, Yeah, I totally get that. <clears throat> and we should probably always can shine light on the fact right. of how much they destroyed this country by doing what they did over the past mm-hmm. two years. But to move forward, it's like, shouldn't we... Let's just stop talking about it. 
as COVID in general. Like it's like it's gone. It's over. It's done. Yeah, but how do you? I, I agree. I, I hate that word. By the way, it's just COVID. <clears throat> yeah, it just yeah. always makes me uncomfortable. Always has, but. Because that was never the problem, right? It was always government imposed. It was just the vehicle. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you can, how you can not talk about it. I mean, I understand we need to. That I, that's just my that's my personal frustrations <clears throat> these days. How, how, how do you talk about the dangers from you don't all of the medical tyranny without you don't without talking about? It. I I get that, but at the same time, it's like personally, it's just like, can we just can we move forward? Yeah, I, I hate seeing it in contracts in my business. It's like, come on, let's just do a normal concert. Let's not have to worry about what happens if someone gets sick at a show. It's like, really? I'm more worried about someone dying from what you're sticking in them, not from them getting sick from a virus. We were trying to sign a lease in a new building recently, and they had a whole page <clears throat> of COVID protocols. And we were like, nope, strike that. And they let it go pretty quickly. Good. Yeah. Um, Amazing. On that note, though, can we talk about student debt stuff. Mm. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about that. I've got a lot to say, but since I've spoken a lot already, I want to, I'll let Gary have the floor first. Well, I, I'll say this. When we got married, me and my wife, we had um, roughly $30,000 in student debt on her part. Did the responsible thing, the right thing, paid it all off, just paid it off uh, two, two years ago. And, and now two years later, I'm a schmuck <clears throat> because I paid off all of her student debt. When I got out of law school, same thing. I had about $30,000 in debt and a 10-year payment plan. Spent 10 years paying off my law school debt. Felt really good about it. They yep. were low interest rates, but did the, as you say, the responsible thing. And that's clearly one element of it. I've gotten a lot of communications from people who are really angry that they paid theirs back. Why aren't they getting a reimbursement, right? Why, why are we choosing this group of people right now. I mean, mm -hmm. we know the real reason, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's election by. But I will say this, and then I'll pass it off to Gary so I don't over-dominate the, <clears throat> the microphone today. Let's not forget that the, the reason, although it is a short-term electoral or, or, an, or an attempt to get an electoral benefit, this is really just money laundering, right? It's masquerading as a benefit to students, but students are just being used this is money, money laundering to the teachers' unions who then turn around and put their money behind these Democrat politicians who are advancing this. And, by the way, all the leftists – so all we're doing is funding Marxist philosophy that fails in the classroom in reality but has influenced all of these people. Ironically, we're paying for the education or the miseducation of all of these students in Marxist ideology. We'll, we'll – correspondingly or simultaneously funding the continual advancement of these policies politically because it goes through the teacher slush fund back to the oh, politicians. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I'm more concerned with the fact that we're still sending our kids to college and what we're paying for it uh, and the expectations there because clearly I think most reasonable people think that this is wealth redistribution, this is socialism, and this is all stupid, and everyone who's ever paid for college has a right to be inflamed right now. John, just like you said, yeah, I mean, you know, you got duped out of money. I mean, if you just would have... Um, I'd, I'd gladly have that 30K back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, so I, I get that feeling, but honestly, yeah, I've, I've thought for a long time the way that we promote a university education 
versus like a trade school. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. I don't understand why we why we still promote colleges and universities today when we know, we know that we know that these kids are going to get indoctrinated and so many of them come out. I, I was talking to a parent two weeks ago. Um, no, it's more than that. When was the campaign? Because it was it was at a campaign event, so it might have been a month ago. And uh, of a woman just saying, you know, we sent our daughter. My daughter grew up loving the Lord, loving our country, loving conservative values. I sent her to college. She came back in four years, and she literally told me, I don't know who my daughter is anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so— But that's when you're the most moldable. Yeah. Like, you go off to college at 18, and, like, you don't know who you are. But but my point is, how do we not know this yet? I, I don't understand why families are still so willing— to shuck out a hundred grand yeah. to send their child to somewhere for four years to be absolutely destroyed. There are so many people right now going to a trade school, going into no debt and coming out with a job making 80 grand a year. Right. You know, <clears throat> why are we not doing that? I I just don't understand the affinity for university, quite honestly. I, I mean, as a dad, I've got three young sons, and I mean I can tell you right now. You know, my oldest is in fifth grade, so we're not there yet. But I'm not paying for it, and I've got no interest in trying to encourage my sons to go into a four-year university of of any kind for any reason. I have a 15-year-old daughter who's just started high school. So in two years, we're going to be visiting colleges if that's where she wants to go. But I've told her multiple times, you don't have to go to college. Like, if you don't want to be a doctor, a lawyer, like some, like, extremely professional service— you don't have to go to college. Like, there's a trade or a service you can learn to make a living and a really good living. And let me say one more thing about that. The other side of the equation are these companies that have an expectation, like it's a re- it's a requirement for you to apply to to get a job at their company to have a college degree, but the job you're applying for is going to pay you like forty grand a year. Yeah, like I find that all to be absurd, mm-hmm. or even we, less than that. Yeah, that's high. <laughs> we require you to have a college degree, but we're not even going. We're not even willing to pay you enough to live and pay off your student debt. So, for me personally, as I've observed probably over the last decade, as I've paid attention to this issue, I am one hundred percent out. On the university system as it is. Um, I've owned businesses. I, I've never had any interest in whether or not someone that works for me has graduated from college. Yep. Same, <laughs> like, same here. I don't care. So, Zero interest. No, absolutely. Let me <clears throat> let me make one exception to that, and that would be Hillsdale College. Um, and yes, this is kind of an ad for Hillsdale because as you guys know, my three This one's free, but the next one's a cost. <laughs> yeah, one. we're gonna have yeah. to reevaluate. My three oldest children are all Hillsdale graduates. That is one of the very few shining examples of traditional college um, and very American-centric uh, college. Unfortunately, they do not have an engineering school, so my son, who just began college uh, a week ago, unfortunately could not go to Hillsdale. But it is without reservation or hesitation that I would agree with you. And, and here I am. I've been to law school, right? I'm an attorney. I, I had to go to, after 12 years of, uh, 13 years counting kindergarten, four years of college, then three years um, and a bar exam, 
actually had to take two, not because I failed one, because I took one in Pennsylvania, then immediately moved to Tennessee, so I had to take another one. But except for those professions where you cannot get into them without that education, I would always recommend, and my children have known that, against it. Because my, I've said this over and over again, my most successful clients in 30 years of business are not college educated. Mm -hmm. My smartest clients in 30 years of business are not college educated. Richest, right? Sharpest, not college educated. So there is no advantage presently other than to fill the coffers of the left. And as you say, it would turn your children against everything you've taught them and you've paid for it. Yep. I'll say this though, uh, to qualify, in in terms of your son going to a university for engineering school, I I could not imagine that any, I can't can't think of a four-year university that could ever hope to outdo the indoctrination that a kukuji has received in your home. <laughs> there there is no hope for them to overcome what these kids what these kids have learned coming out of the kukuji home. They are they are an impenetrable fortress well, of knowledge. I, what I, was the word we just used <clears throat> earlier? V- vociferous. That's, that's it. That's, that's your it. example. Gary was just vociferously <laughs> stating. Yeah, yes. He was vociferously affirming the way that my wife and I have raised our children, and that's an honor, and I thank you for that. I just wouldn't call it indoctrination. We'll just feed somebody else's worldview by saying that. But <clears throat> the truth. I know what you meant. Yeah. They've learned is, the truth. They have yeah. definitely learned the truth, and they are convicted about it, right? It's not superficial. And What would you call that? Sound doctrination. Sound, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They're good with their doctrine. They're not indoctrinated, but they understand their doctrine. Yes. And they know who they are in Christ first and then in all other aspects of their lives. So that does have a lot to do with it. And I will tell you that mm. doesn't come without time. That doesn't come without effort. You know, we homeschooled all of our children, and that involved my time as well as my wife's time. We played different roles, but we were both very engaged in the homeschool process. And when I hear parents say, I don't have time for that, I say, if you don't take the time for that, this is what you're going to be up against. Um, So anyway, that's... So you have six. Yes. And one is still not there yet, but all five are going, have gone to college. So... The first three Hillsdale graduates. The next one is a professional. She works at a salon. That's right. And yep. um, she did. She knew from the time she was four years old that she was not going to college, despite all of her older siblings trying to say, "Come do what we're doing." She said, "Nope." So never mind. I, wanna... I just had a line <clears throat> of questions lined up for you, and I, that just negates all of them. So <clears throat> she's very successful in what she does. She loves what she does. She's independent. So that's that's her role. And then my son is in engineering. Yeah. And then we have a fifteen-year-old at home, sophomore. And she's planning on college, or <clears throat> um, I don't know. Okay, All right. yeah. There's no pressure on her for that. Okay. If she does, it's got to be Hillsdale. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is some sort of pressure. Yeah. So there's that point. that kind the, of pressure. The frustrating part about the this whole idea and system that Biden is putting in place is that Joe Plummer who went to high school, graduated high school, and decided, I don't need to go to college. I can go learn this trade of being a plumber and make $80,000 a year and have a great life and provide for my family. That guy and all the rest of us, myself included, who did not finish college, are paying for and Mm -hmm. subsidizing all these people that went to such and such community (laughs) college to major in finger painting or whatever the heck it is they majored in and spent ungodly amounts of money on. That's that's what's so frustrating, and uh, and they're subsidizing. And, remember the teachers and themselves. They're not really subsidizing these students because, as you pointed out, 
these students aren't learning anything of well, much value. But they're subsidizing <clears throat> the fact that these students, they're subsidizing the fact that the students are not learning responsibility. Because these students are taking out the loans themselves right. mm-hmm. and then not having to pay mm-hmm. them back. That, that is fundamentally what our system is built on, credit and debit. And think of the— Like, you take out a loan, you know that you have to pay that back. There's a responsibility there to pay, to pay that back. Yeah. So what Biden has done is just completely eliminated that sense of responsibility— no, you're good. You're cool. Whatever. You took the loan out, but you don't have to pay it back. Which is similar to what's happened in the tax base, right? We're now at a point where about 50% of the country pays taxes and 50% of the country does not pay taxes. Once you have the takers outnumbering the givers, then you lose representation. If we haven't already lost it via elections, right, you definitely lose representation because the people who are not paying taxes are going to be in favor of all different kinds of plans that put burdens on us. Because it doesn't affect them. Yeah. It's the same disconnect, right? You, yeah. You, you take away the responsibility from the decision. Yeah. We're moving on to the China. Let's do it. Let's cabinet. do the China cabinet. Hey, I, as Kevin gets that prepared, I just want to mention, you know, at least at the time of this recording, um, you know, we've, Tennessee Stands, we've put out a, a bit of information, including a, a petition on an insane, insane ordinance that, passed the Nashville Metro Council on August 16th and was signed into law in Davidson County by uh, Mayor John Cooper. In fact, as we're recording this episode right now, today, effective today, uh, in, in, in accordance with our trigger law that passed, abortions are now illegal in the state of Tennessee. Correct. And so this has all been leading up to today and the left is losing their minds oh my god what are we going to do abortion is illegal in tennessee so nashville came up with this incredibly creative um ordinance that if a corporation is coming into davidson county and wants to apply for some sort of grant or tax incentive from nashville one of nashville's evaluations as to whether or not this company is going to be worthy of the tax credit or tax incentive is as to whether or not they pay expenses for their employees to travel out of state and receive reproductive health care. Abortions, since they can't get them in Tennessee, and it's on that basis now that Nashville is going to judge whether or not this company receives a tax incentive. And so, de facto, you have, if if you're forgoing that tax revenue— the citizens of Tennessee are now paying tax dollars to fund abortions, which is wholly unconstitutional in the state of Tennessee. And as of the date of this recording, not one, not one vociferous, vociferous yeah. elected GOP <clears throat> official has made a statement against this. I think they heard that down the hallway. That went out the studio. That's very vociferous. Including Governor Bill Lee. So do you think, just ask you a hypothetical, if the city of Tampa or Orlando, Florida, had enacted similar ordinance, do you think we would have heard 10 days of silence from Ron DeSantis? No, No, he would have lost his mind. Uh, Here, I have a theory about that. There does, is that is that like written? That's in law. That's done. It's law signed by the mayor. So my theory is, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm out there. 
you have corporations and companies moving here from places like California. In droves. From places like New York because of the way that, you know, laws are being made and things are being done in those states. I think that in the long run, this decision by the by the city of Nashville itself is going to absolutely kick itself in the butt because you're going to have corporations who are look in fact I know of at least 3 off the top of my head I'm not going to name them but the the 3 I know off the top of my head that I deal with on a day-to-day basis in business who are moving here to Tennessee because of the way that California's doing business New York's doing business name a state name a blue state they're not going to move into the Nashville proper area because of that, though. They're going to come to the Franklin area. They're going to come to Williamson County. They're going to come to the all the outlying counties around Davidson County because of that. And I think it's going to come back and kick them in the butt. Well, I will add to that, John, that if— And it's probably—sorry, it's probably only going to take one. It's probably going to take one <clears throat> major one that makes that decision. And Nashville's going to go, oh, we didn't see that coming. Well, <clears throat> because— if we don't get that kind of activity, that kind of response, and certainly if we don't get pushback from the governor or anyone at the legislature, then you're going – my concern is you're going to see it in Williamson County. They're going to say, hmm, they did it in Davidson County. Certainly they're going to do it in Knoxville and Memphis and Chattanooga, right? So we have laws that are being deliberately ignored. That's true. I just I just know of three three they're large too. They are large organizations that have moved to Williamson County specifically because of Williamson County. And if that tries to get pushed in Williamson County, I, I think you're gonna have some major pushback. Well and I hope they I hope they would. I hope they wouldn't just just say, "Oh well, we're here, and I guess we'll deal with it." Yeah, I don't. You mean you mean Nashville doesn't yet realize that the companies that are leaving California and moving here actually don't want they don't all the want crap, that crap that was going on exactly. In yeah, yeah. If you're going to promise a tax incentive, then give us a tax incentive, not laced with <laughs> a bunch of stuff we have to agree with that we don't. Yeah, yeah. It's a death cult. <clears throat> Hey, uh, that China cabinet, where are we, where's that? We're going to be vociferous bulls in the China cabinet. All right, let's do it. All right, so what I'm going to start today, we've kind of touched on it um, in bits and pieces, but today I'm going to start a long report, and then each week we'll work our way through that report. I'm going to read a couple of highlights, and then we'll comment on it. But this report in particular is important because it deals with state legislature, and so since we are a Tennessee stands, Tennessee-centric organization and Freedom Matters, although it goes beyond the borders of Tennessee, we want to make sure that everyone who's listening understands that there's a role to play for the Tennessee legislature, and that's our challenge. So this report, mind you, comes from the Heritage Foundation, and it is one of their special reports. I, I highly recommend that you go online and download it. It's a very lengthy report. This particular report is written by a gentleman by the name of Michael Cunningham. They don't do everything alone, though, so give credit to the Heritage Foundation. But let me just read some things. Today's topic, I I should say, is called, do you know what a subnational target is, gentlemen? No. No, but I'm ready. All right, so we're going to talk about subnational targets. You're going to hear that two or three times. As I said, I need to get a stand by next week. So... China's influence operations against the U.S., typically we think of those as targeting the federal government, Congress, executive branch, and so on. But the political and social organizations at the state and local levels, these are what they call subnational targets. 
And they're dan- it's dangerous and effective for the Chinese because these subnational targets are unaware of these threats or don't know how to address them. That the states are unprepared for the magnitude and persistence of PRC influence operations is understandable. Never has a foreign adversary had such deep inroads in U.S. state and local politics. So this particular report is to provide an overview of some of these threats that Beijing poses to state governments. It offers state and local policymakers, especially the legislatures, a greater understanding of the, of the threats they face, and it provides the tools to assist them in developing legislation to confront these challenges. So this is not just an exercise in policy discussion. We're going to talk about things that our state legislature can affirmatively pursue to stop these things. So a little history. By the way, you know, our politicians are typically afraid when they when they do something like this. Well, we don't want to be deemed, you know, charged with xenophobia or being discriminatory, you know, for taking something against quote unquote Chinese. Well, we're not picking out a race of people. We're talking about the Communist Party of China. Right. Right. So interesting history here. Did you know? So Xi Jinping, you know, the 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 current president of China, <clears throat> Communist Chinese Party. So he's been in office now for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, three years into his presidency, he made his first trip to the United States. And what did he do? So that would have been <clears throat> during the end of the Obama administration. So during the end of the Obama administration, everybody made a big deal. If you don't recall, that he snubbed, that Xi snubbed Obama because he didn't go to D.C. first. He went to the state of Washington and the city of Seattle, and he met with, right, all the same people that we deal with now. Zuckerberg, Zuckerbucks, you right, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, he went and met with a bunch of tech guys. Yep, Warren Buffett, <laughs> Tim Cook. But the capstone of his visit was actually, wait for it, the China-U.S. Governor's Forum. Mm. The China-U.S. Governor's Forum, which was started in 2011. So in Tennessee, that puts us back during the Haslam administration was the first time there was ever such a thing as the China-U.S. Governor's Forum. So at at the time, the public outcry was, oh, Xi kind of disrespected Barack Obama. But more importantly, it showed the importance that China places on engagement at the sub-national level. Hmm. This uh, first, as of July 2022, guess how many relationships? So what they establish out of these are these, and and we've seen this in Bill Lee's press early, especially early on in his his governorship, they have these sister-to-sister relationships. A city in Bay in, in China is a is a is a business partner, right, with Nashville or with Chattanooga or something. Do you know? So this was first done in 1979, by the way. St. Louis and a uh, city called Nanjing. Sorry, I don't know Chinese, so Nanjing. <clears throat> they were the first city to city to city, sister city relationship. As of July 2022, there are now 234 sister relationships between U.S. and Chinese cities. Mm. And there's an additional 50 sister relationships between U.S. states and Chinese provinces. That doesn't necessarily mean that one for each state. It means a state could have three or four connections with a particular what, province. What, what does that do, though? Like, what what does uh, that look like? So, we're going to Okay, reading. sorry. Subnational engagement with China differs from what takes place between liberal democracies in crucial ways, whereas in democratic countries, local political leaders are elected by their constituents and except we're restrained by the constitution, of course, they have the freedom to enact policies and do 
what they will at the local level. So what you have here, by the way, we should also note, contrast that within China. It doesn't matter whether it's a city, a province. It's all controlled and they're required to report all of their activity back through the communist, uh, the Chinese Communist Party. So they don't have the equivalent of local control and local leaders. All the decisions are made by the Chinese Communist yeah, Party. Yeah, they, ha- they have a local relationship on our end. But what our end may not understand is their relationship is with the CCP. Yeah, it's all – so they may call it the Nanjing province or city or they may think they're dealing with a city like Beijing – but it's all dealing directly with the Communist Party. So, but at this point with China, like, how do you not realize that? Well, this this is the one thing that encourages me because there's such a plethora of data and material now that people are actively engaging in. It's 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 late, but better late than never. So, John, to your point, provincial, municipal, and local leaders. They're not elected by the people they serve, right? They're elected and selected by the Chinese Communist Party. So they're not autonomous actors, but they're actually agents of Beijing. When they cooperate with a U.S. city, university, or business on a given issue, it should be seen for that then, Beijing trying to advance its position in the U.S.-Chinese rivalry. Why it's beneficial here, you see we might send what we send, 50 businessmen, right, from top businesses in Chattanooga or in one of the cities in Tennessee to Beijing or one of the other provinces in China to share information, to learn what we can learn, right? Setting up manufacturing plants in China, all of that kind of thing. The people on our side who are ignorant to it think that, oh, this is a good way. We can just cut straight to the chase and it's cultural. We don't have to go through the red tape of the federal government. And that's exactly what China is is desiring as well. We don't have to worry about the normal diplomatic constraints. We don't have to worry about normal national security issues because we've already infiltrated at the government level. And the I'll end today's section with this, and then we can talk about it. The reason they start that level is because what happens in politics? A guy starts out at the city council or the county commission, and then he moves up to the state legislature. He becomes a representative at the state or a state senator. Then he might become a governor. They might become a president, or he might become a U.S. senator, U.S. congressman. It's exactly what happened to Eric Swalwell, right? He was contacted and was a... Um, a point of contact for the Chinese Communist Party once he became a city councilman in the Dublin, California. That's when they began getting involved with him. And so from the Chinese standpoint, early and often is really important. Not that everybody makes it up the federal level, but they're very strategic and devoted to the long term by getting involved early. That's the one reason they do it at that point. The second reason is... I just want everyone to know, to my knowledge, even though I've just run for state senate, to my knowledge, no one from the CCP has reached out to me. So That's it's good to know. Thank okay. you. <laughs> that out there. The second reason is, as the federal government now, especially now, is starting to push back against Chinese influence operations... China believes and hopes that governments at the state level and below will be the weak links. I'll say that again, weak links Mm. through which it can infiltrate the U.S. political system. The Chinese actually have – they know our old phrase, all politics is local. And Beijing uses promises of trade and investment to gain inroads into the states through these, quote, subnational entities. Money. They use money. Always follow the money. By the way, I found this interesting, and I don't have details about Tennessee. There is a report by a Chinese government-affiliated think tank on 
seriously, on the friendliness of different U.S. governors toward China. Newsweek obtained a copy of this report. I don't have it. I'm going to look for it after today. And noted that it listed the governors of 17 states as friendly to China, 14 governors as ambiguous, and six as hardline. The rest were unclear. So I'm very curious to find out what the Chinese think of Governor, well, Governor Bill Lee. Is, is, that, is that a recent report or was that the one like two years ago that was put out by uh, Mike Pompeo? Yeah, I it, don't, that, that was probably because this report goes on to talk a little bit about Pompeo. Yeah, so that that re- do you know which level we were in at that point? We were friendly. Bill Lee is one of the friendly. friendlies. Yeah, because you you yeah. have a contact that's got that report, Paul, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, I know about that contact. Yeah, we okay. We have so we that can report. say with confidence. With confidence. Yeah, because it was my instinct. Oh yeah, Tennessee to say that Bill Lee was friendly. probably friendly. Yes, which means that he is viewed as one of the weakest links from the Chinese that Communist was, Party. That was put out publicly by then Secretary of State Pompeo. Pompeo. So. You've got to tie that together with the political aspirations of every governor of every state, right? Every governor thinks he's going to be president, right? They just kind of have that hubris sure. about them. That's the next step. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that being the case, how much of a danger is it, A, to have a weak link? And how much influence do you think China is going to have? You think of their influence over elections through social media platforms, bots, and all of that, artificial intelligence. How much influence are they going to try to assert to make sure that one of these weak links, if at all possible, can become president? One of the quote-unquote friendlies. Yeah, the friendlies. So there you go. All right. I'll I'll stop that report for today because there's a lot more. We've had a lot of people approach us about doing twice-a-week shows. Yes. I've gotten the same. I almost think like the China cabinet is like a whole nother – thing on an, in and of itself. It's not, it's not a five-minute thing at the end of an episode. It's it's It might even be its own episode every week. Because look at... Mm. Th- I know. This I'm looking at your binder. That's yeah, what... <laughs> I finally put it into a binder, and that's I'm just have to this dig week. Into my, I'm going to have to dig into my uh, Tennessee trainer connections. Yeah. Oof, it's going to be intense. Yeah. I think you should probably clarify. <clears throat> when you say Tennessee China connections, some people might misunderstand that you were contacted by a CCP. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I mean those, clarify that you were I mean, not. I mean those ties that that we know somewhere. People that deep we know that have done exists. the research. Yes, we yes. we need to find find where those are because we need to root them out. Yep, agreed. As we head out, I just I I have to point out that I just realized that Kevin's wearing a um, Magnolia. Yeah, Waco, Texas. I've been, I've been Magnolia there. Market. I've been there. T-shirt. Love it. I just went there last week when I took I my just, son to college. I okay. All right, that's fair. I don't know. I always associate like the whole Chip and Joanna Gaines phenomenon with like extremely female <laughs> audience. So, I, so what are you saying about me, John? I don't know. I just I've never seen a dude wear well, that. Well, yeah, but he so there's so he went and like visited there in person on a trip to Texas. It's not as if he went online and purchased his Magnolia shirt because he's thank such you. a fan. I, thank you. I've never there's been. A difference. I've never been on the any of that the website that's related to. Chip and Joanna Gaines or any of their sub-entities, but I did tell my family that if we're taking my son to college, why don't we make it as a kind of a vacation? We'll take a little trip down to Waco, because he's he's in East Texas, but so we flew into Dallas, drove to Waco, and um, went twice in a three-day period, went twice to In-N-Out Burger, because it's been a long time. Oh, well, you time, have to do that. Long time since They've we've been there. They've got those all over Dallas yeah. now. So I was so happy. 
All right. Do you like my I, shirt? No, I like it. It's fine. It's great. I just, I've never been. So maybe that's the problem. I don't have the context of being like there at the place, at the. You know, the most amazing and unexpected part of that trip for me, they have a chapel, an old Presbyterian church that they have completely refurbished right in the middle of the property. And it is, it is amazing. It is, is just like the little churches I grew up in, except this is much better. It's been refurbished and sure. restored. It probably seats 200 at most, really tiny, and it would be packed, not in the seats, but like everybody filling up the room. Peaceful, quiet. It, it's just, it'd be a great place to do a little event. It's the, it's the same effect with, you know, like, I go, I've been to Disney World a couple of times and it's like, you just buy a t-shirt when you're at Disney World and you wear a Mickey Mouse you don't normally wear Mickey Mouse, but you wear Mickey Mouse because you bought the T-shirt at Disney World. I did that for concerts, right? I told you about my oh yeah, my son and I oh, went yeah. to see John Mayer, and he lost his T-shirt, so I gave him mine. <laughs> anyway. Can you believe that? Lost his T-shirt on the way out of the concert, like fell out of his arm, and he didn't even know it. I had to bring it up. I'd never seen a dude wear a Magnolia Waco, Texas shirt. It's not before. like it has flowers on it or something. It just says, what? That's true. I mean, Waco, my, Texas. My wife has one. I saw like that. Just I, I don't know what to, I don't know what else to say after that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> hey, uh, Joe Rogan's always uh, welcome. Always. Matt Walsh was welcome. Yep. Uh, and uh, Chip and Joanna, they're always welcome too. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.